Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in the first verse. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came the sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared upon, among them and rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. You would turn with me over to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Beginning in the first verse. My point is this. Heirs, as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves, though they are the owners of all the property. But they remain under the guardians, the trustees, until the date is set by the Father. So with us, while we were minors, we were enslaved to the elemental spirits of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God set his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer slaves, but a child. And if a child, then an heir through God. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was a formless void, and there was storms and chaos everywhere, God spoke order. The, the spirit, the wind, the ruach of God rushed across the face of the deep. And in that moment, God said, light, and light burst forth. And then God said, sky and earth, and the chaos was divided. God said, sun and stars. God said, trees and humans and fish. And at the word, each of these things burst forth in creation. The world came into being. Order was fashioned out of chaos by the spoken, transcendent word of God. A word that was carried upon the rushing of the Spirit. And then the Almighty leaned low, and God spoke that same creating word into human beings. God said, use my word. Join me in the act of creation. Be fruitful and multiply. Go forth and care. Subdue. Have ownership and trustee of, the, of, of my good creation. And with the power of God in speech, we humans went out and we did what we do. We made a complete mess of everything. What was good and appropriate, we started to pollute and destroy. We used our honored position as caretakers to subject and to push down. 
We did everything in our power to welcome back in the chaos that God had so thoroughly dismissed. We used the gift of speech in the vain attempt to usurp the Almighty. And what we did is we gathered together and we started to use our gift of speech to build a tower up to the highest heaven so that we could make a name for ourselves. And so God, in a final act of judgment and mercy, confused our speech. The very same word that the Lord had given unto us was now disordered and broken and tarnished. We moved out finally into the good world that God had created, that we had spoiled. But God never left us alone. In the wreckage and ruin of all that we had done, living in the world that we had created by sin, God sent a guardian, a tutor, a pedagogos is the word Paul uses in Galatians, a disciplinarian. God gave creation the law to train us in how we are to use the gift of life and speech to in the correct and appropriate and the good ways that God had intended. The law was God's gracious gift to an undeserving people. It taught us how to be holy, how to be distinct upon the earth, how to treat God's creation with goodness and beauty. Those words that God had given us taught us how to treat our neighbors and outsiders. And for thousands of years, the people who followed after the living God lived under the law. The people of God grew and they expanded, they succeeded and they failed, they gestured and they tried to live under that disciplinarian. But just as we always do, as we did with creation, as so we did with the law. We took this thing that was supposed to give freedom and life and teachings and we twisted it to make it into something of bondage and chains. And so God acted again. In the fullness of time, the Almighty sent a son born of a woman born under the law. The word made flesh. Not to cast off the law, not to cancel it and negate it, not to throw it out, but to fill it full. That verse in Galatians 4, verse 4, in the fullness of time, God sent the son born of a woman. That's a, that's a pretty important verse in the history of theology. The year was 431. Some of you remember back then, don't you? It was a good time. It was, the place was Ephesus. And there, in that Greek city, the church gathered for what became known as the Third Ecumenical Council. 431, it's been 400 years since Jesus died and rose again. Since Jesus lived out and, and showed us the power of new creation. But the church at that time was still trying to figure out what was going on. You know, Christians aren't the smartest group of people in the world. Like, we're, we're earnest and we try, but it, it, it takes us a while to, to catch on. 
And the early church wanted to catch on to this. They wanted to get who Jesus was right. There was a debate at that time in Ephesus between two bishops. One was named Nestorius. And Nestorius taught in his churches that, that Mary gave birth to Jesus. But Jesus was not the divine word. He, Mary, carried the Christ, but not the Holy One of Israel. Mary was the Christotokos, the Christ-bearer. The other bishop was a guy named Cyril of Alexandria. And he taught in her churches that in the womb, Jesus was both human and divine. That those natures were united even before he came forth into the world. After a few days of discussion, the church voted and they decided that Cyril was correct. And Mary received the title of Theotokos, the God-bearer. And that means that even before Jesus came into the world, even before he was born of this woman Mary, in Jesus was the fullness of God and the fullness of man joined together. And in the coming of Christ, that fullness of God came to earth and that divine word that was spoken once before in creation, that was spoken again in the law, was now spoken in a person. And we beheld the glory of God. Now, that didn't stop us from trying to kill God, right? We humans do the same thing all the time. God creates and we pollute. God gives the law and we turn and twist. God sends his son and we do everything and we can to get rid of him. And up on the cross, we used our words the very same thing that God had given us to cast mockery and dispersions upon the living word. But even our best and final attempt at self-destruction wasn't enough. For Christ rose again on the third day. He put down the enmity that we, so clung, that we clung so closely to. And he opened the path of reconciliation between creation and creator. And he made possible peace. And then he ascended into heaven after 40 days. And he carried with him all of that humanity, all of that forgiveness, all of that grace back into the very heart of God. But God did not leave us alone. And so here we are today on Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, 50 days after the world was made new, 50 days after new creation was spoken in that whisper of Easter. And we celebrate the gift of the Spirit. Pentecost is a uh, Jewish festival. It's the, the festival of the first fruit. So in an agrar agrarian, agrar that word, in a, in a, they, they planted food and they grew food. And in that type of culture, they would get an early harvest and they would bring that early harvest, those first fruits to the temple to offer to them God, to God, to say thank you for God's providence. It's a specific day in, in, a, in a broader celebration called Shavuot. 
And not only is it the harvest, but today is the day that tradition tells us Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the tablets of the commandments. Moses received the law, and there around the base of the mountain, the people gathered in celebration and joy. This was a day for people to give thanks, to celebrate God's providence, to celebrate the gift of life, to celebrate the gift of God's sustenance, to celebrate the gift of the law. And on this day of celebration, in that little room, the Spirit, the wind, the Ruach of God blew again. The same spirit that rushed over the face of the deep on the first day of creation rushed through the city of Jerusalem. And out of the law, out of the, the guardian, the good gift from God comes something new. The church is born. Again, the law doesn't disappear just like it didn't disappear with Christ. It is not negated or undone, but something new has happened. And in the birth of the church, finally the disordered language of Babel comes crashing down. And a gift of languages, a gift of tongues, fiery and resplendent spreads across the people. And now those disciples who had messed up in their following of Christ, they have speech. They have a word. They have a message. The Holy Spirit's coming is not a, a gentle thing. It is not a lullaby and a, a calm bit of... It is violent and sudden. It is a rushing hurricane that filled that poor, unsuspecting upper room. The way Luke describes it in chapter 2, it almost sounds like the beams of the house began to quake. The arrival of the Holy Spirit didn't bring about celebration for those first disciples as much as it did fear and bewilderment. I can only imagine that if I had paid for the, the nicer flaming tongues to be beset throughout our congregation, you might find that that they would not be nearly as happy as, as the balloons there. I know we're in a parking lot and the chance of, of a wildfire is slim, but just so you know, if a fire did break out, I will be the first one out. I've got a head start. I'm standing, and I will push over anyone who is slower and younger than me to get out. I mean, that's what Peter did, right? Peter was the first one out of the house. He, he rushes out and he starts to preach. He carries this message that has given him life and power. And after the ashes and the adrenaline settle, we look back at that day of Pentecost that those early disciples would have been terrified and confused by. And we don't remember the drama, the trauma and the stress. We don't remember the violent earthquake and the terrifying wind. All we remember is the joy and the celebration. And we have a party. It's kind of the thing we do with birthday parties, too. Births are, are hard. I, I know from experience, I was born. It was not an easy thing. For much of human history, <laughs> I, I think I just heard an audible gasp from several of the ladies in our congregation, some of the mothers, I apologize. I mean, it's going to get better, you know. I apologize for that. <laughs> for much of human history, 
uh, birth was a very traumatic event for, there was a nearly 2% mortality rate. Two out of every 100 women died. Uh, children had a 20% mortality rate. And among slave populations, that increased to about a 50% mortality rate. And those numbers, as terrifying and staggering as they are, they actually went up at the onset of our, our modern medical age. Professionalized doctors back in when they were starting to, to take on the practice of medicine, they, they found that washing hands, they felt, excuse me, that washing their hands was a, a sign of disrespect and something beneath them. And so as they were delivering babies, they would pass pathogens and diseases from one lady to another. And the maternity wards were filled. But even with today in our modern sterility, with the advances of medicine that we face, childbirth is a chaotic and dangerous affair. The World Health Organization estimates that 830 women will die today from pregnancy and childbirth. My first child was, was born by an emergency cesarean section. And had it not been for some fast-acting doctors, I, I thoroughly believe that my wife and daughter would be a part of those statistics. When you think about how the odds can be stacked against us, how dangerous it is, it's no wonder that we look back to our birth and we celebrate that day. Evolutionarily, we are, all of us here, we have beaten the odds. We are alive. We have passed through the chaos and trauma of that event. And so we shout and sing and we eat cake. And yes, we're a little year older. And yes, we're another day longer. And yes, we look at our lives and the ups and the downs and the mistakes and the misturns and our failures. And we know that in the coming year, we will make more mistakes and more failures. But on that day, that one day, we celebrate the victory of life. And so too with Pentecost. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow your mind right now. You ready? I'm glad you're seated. Hold on tight. The church isn't perfect. I know. Our church isn't perfect. That church down the street with the nice building, there's not perfect. That church that you're thinking of, the big one down the, downtown, that's not perfect. We are broken people. To, to, to quote from the pop star Julie Michaels, I got issues. You got them too. That's what we do in church. We are broken people who gather and try to figure out this thing called life together. The church makes mistakes. The church will continue to make mistakes. We will speak up when we shouldn't. We will be quiet when we shouldn't. We will not carry the calls of the poor. We will turn a blind eye to the suffering of neighbors. The church isn't perfect. And just like the people of God who went before us, we will grow and expand. We will succeed and fail. We will gesture and try to live out the spirit that is alive within us. And so on this day, we celebrate the church with balloons and cake. Not, not real cake. Don't get your hopes up. And we celebrate because of the empowering work of God among us the Holy Spirit that is alive and indwelling and reminding us every Sunday that we have beaten the odds. For we are alive, not by our own effort, not by our own choices, not by our own will or desire, but because of God's Spirit which gave birth to us and brought us forth from death. 
we are born again, new creation that the Apostle Paul will call us in Galatians, the very children of God. You know, back in the day, children weren't viewed very well. And we, we, we in our modern world, we, we idealize children. I blame Charles Dickens and the, the, the Industrial Revolution. Before that, children were a, a burden. They were something to be fed and cared for. Plato uh, is quoted by saying, children are unruly and insolent beasts, that if free, they would go to their own destruction. Some of you have raised toddlers. And you have seen that gleam that comes upon their eyes when they, they grab a fork and they run immediately for the outlet. I can hurt myself, the child says. And they rush forth to their own destruction. Children are something that must be born burdened. At best, they are an extra pair of hands. At worst, they are an extra mouth to feed. But that's not what Paul is, is thinking about in Galatians. He's not thinking about the oppressive weight of having children. I'm, think, I'm, I'm preaching a little too much to the parents. I'm going to stop. You who are grandparents, you know the joy of children, and you have the, the distance of perspective that, that parents don't. Paul is looking at those as the, not the neediness of childhood. He's, he's talking about the transformation that happens in adoption. For in that moment... When this child who was someone else's at the statement of a word becomes yours. And the child is given a new name and a new family and a new identity. On this Sunday of Pentecost, as the Holy Spirit rushes again upon us and we are overwhelmed and bewildered. And as the dust settles, we will see that we too have been adopted. We too have been brought in, grafted into a new family, God's family, incorporated into the work of God. That's the invitation today. We're not perfect. We don't have it all together. We don't have the, all the answers. But somehow by this miracle of Pentecost and the gift of the Holy Spirit that is alive amongst us, we are a family. We are, to quote from Paul, heirs, children, heirs of the promise, for we have received the abiding presence of God's spirit, God's wind, God's ruach. And we have been given life through the risen Christ and shared with this, who shared his life for the church and the sake of the world. Beloved, you don't become a part of this family by joining with the Wake Forest Church. As good as that is, and it guarantees you a good place in heaven, it doesn't. You become a part of God's family by opening your life to this wild and untamed spirit. In the words of Jesus, you become a part of this family by being born again by the Spirit and by the waters of baptism. And that invitation, that open family is there for you today. If you're here this morning, it's, it's just a small motion. It's a little act of faith to reach out and to accept what God has already done for you. To reach out and trust that wind that even now is blowing upon us, that carries the message, the word of life to trust in the one who created the world, 
is the same one that can recreate your life. Let us pray together. Oh Lord, on this day, as your spirit moves around us, may we, oh God, trust and accept what you have already done. The love that you offer is free and full. The transformation is complete. May we rest, O God. May we speak. And may we hear that word of acceptance this day. In the name of Christ, we pray. Let us worship together.